Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. It's quite a privilege for me to be able to spend these very important moments with each of you. And I extend greetings from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, to the congregation here, as well as to our Saints Network family. My name is Ron Crawford. I am privileged to be the pastor here in Dallas. And we have um, an incredible time of study in the Word today. I believe that it is vital for this time frame. And I am looking forward to being able to share with you uh, regarding the subject of atonement. And before we get into the word, which we will, um, we will discuss uh, beginning in Hebrews chapter 10, you can begin to turn there if you'd like. Let me make just a couple of announcements regarding what we're going to be doing here over these next number of days. This is the week of prayer here, something that the Heavenly Father has strongly impressed prophetically upon us and in fact this evening at six o'clock Dallas time um, those of our congregation who can be here will be gathering for prayer we're asking the Lord for wisdom and in fact we are partnering this week with the biblical uh, enunciations regarding the term uh, that would translate as ask of me and it is um, is that Sha'al principle that we've studied over the years at least for 14 years now and so we will be focusing on wisdom tonight what Solomon asked God Sha'al God uh, for wisdom at the very beginning of his tenure as um, king as Solomon uh, beginning his reign as king and he asked God for wisdom so we need wisdom because it's God's way of telling us how to go out and come in God uh, illuminating his timing showing us where he wants to take the light into the darkness which our responsibility would be to go and um, I, I know that God's going to bless this time and throughout this week we're focusing on prayer and in fact even this coming Sunday there will be an email coming within the next two days further um, explaining this but this coming Sunday morning we are dedicating the entirety of the morning to prayer there will be no Sunday school teaching no wisdom seekers class will be praying in the sanctuary and then we'll have some kind of a uh, of a greeting at 10:30 or thereabouts I don't know exactly what the Lord is going to require of us uh, there will be some explanation of what we're doing for probably probably some kind of a of an outline of the scriptures that we're believing God to uh, um, to impart uh, the power of them uh, as a rhema verse in these hours. And then we'll devote ourselves to prayer. That will be our service for this Sunday. So if you join us on Sunday, just know that uh, there will not be a very long segment live streamed. But our devotion is going to be on prayer, which as uh, saints and as intercessors all, should not be a troublesome prospect so God has asked for this and I I am looking forward to not only tonight but throughout this week I know personally that my dreams this week have been highly directed by the Lord I'm amazed at the things that God is allowing me to experience in those nighttime hours that communicate his purpose which is what dreams do but um, 
we certainly invite you to join with us in prayer tonight, but also be prepared for what is coming this Sunday. Okay. It was several weeks ago that I was in the sanctuary in prayer, and God began to speak to me in an interrogative way. He was asking, I felt very strongly the Spirit of the Lord begin to ask me questions. And that's a typical angelic maneuver in the scripture. Um, and Jesus would begin things by asking questions, even at times where you think, just in reading the context, why are you asking a question of this person when it's very obvious what they have come to you for, what they want? But I've learned and we've learned over the years that this is God's way of accessing our divine identity and what we are called to be. Um, the question from the Lord provokes a response, hopefully from our spirit, and then understanding flows. God does things that way, and um, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But he asked me some questions about, it started by what, like this, why on the Day of Atonement, the one day per year in the Old Testament when the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. Why was there a sprinkling of the blood on the Ark of the Covenant? And why was there also a sprinkling of goat's blood? Bull's blood and then goat's blood. And, you know, I've heard, I've heard the doctrinal positioning on this. Um, the, the business of what we call the scapegoat. And I know that it's the goat, those two goats. You remember the story? Let's read. Let's read. Hebrews 10, verse 1 through 4. For the law having a shadow of things, of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year to year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Now let's also read then, and then we'll talk about this. Leviticus chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. Aaron shall offer a bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord, or Yahweh, and the other lot for the scapegoat, or Azazel. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat, Azazel, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a Azazel into the wilderness. Now he goes on to speak about this. You can read it for yourselves. But why would God be talking to me about this? And what does it really mean for us in this time frame? Well, let's take bit by bit. So as saints, as Pneumonicus people, let's put away our old-timey doctrinal, traditional opinions about this. And let's just look at this from what the Scripture says and let's define things that we perceive by what we know the Bible says to be true. Okay? How about that? First thing is that the Day of Atonement, we call it, well, the world calls it Yom Kippur now. It's the new year. 
It's the beginning of the, of the Jewish calendar. It also corresponds to what we have felt is the beginning of the spiritual year, not the calendrical year in the Julian calendar, but the, the, the spiritual year. And atonement is taken from the, uh, the Hebrew word that really means a covering. It, it, it means uh, kapar, it means to cover, to cover over. And that's important for us to recognize because the whole business of um, sin in the Hebrew uh, that was chakcha. You have to get it, lather it up to say it. Chata. It, it means very similar to what um, the New Testament word translated as sin is. It means to miss the mark or to fall short. But those sins were not purged. They were not by the by the law. We read that in Hebrews 10 very clearly. They they were they were really. Um, um, the, the word translated as forgiven, salach, means to purify or to give some measure of approval, to be positively disposed toward so that we could be in his presence or that the people could be in his presence. It was like that sacrifice was sufficient to allow the high priest to function before God in his role. And the people who would bring those sacrifices year to year and throughout the year were basically in obedience, causing themselves to, for want of a better term, to remain in the good graces of God through their obedience and to not be um, destroyed because of their sins. But there never was the issue of being actually forgiven in the sense of the term that we know, where sin is washed away. That only happens and only happened through the blood of Jesus. And, but in the Old Testament, this business of sin and uh, being purified was... Um, was what actually this blood would cover over the the filth and the the things that would cause people to be rejected by God and he would cover that over by their obedience and the shedding of blood and um, welcome the high priest into this holy of holies I hope that doesn't confuse anybody you can go back and listen to this again but there was a big difference between what happened in the law, according to what Hebrews 10 says now. This isn't Ronnie's wacky theory. Hebrews 10 says this, and the meaning of the words in the Old Testament say this. Their sins were not purged or washed away. They were covered over as long as they were continuing year by year in the law. So, that's one of the aspects to why atonement is covering over. But it's also a time of beginnings. It was the only one of the feasts where people were supposed to be fasting. The only one. And they were supposed to be purifying themselves within for a beginning, for an initiation of God's year and the priest had the high priest had specific duties on that day um, we we know just just to thumbnail sketch this that as I said that was the one time per year that they went into the Holy of Holies so what he would do was he would sacrifice a bull and he would capture that blood. He would take the coals from the altar upon which this thing was being burned, and he would take that with 
incense and put it in the Holy of Holies, put that incense on there, and he probably crawled backwards out. There are some suspicions as to lots of opinions of how he did this. But the point was, is that that Holy of Holies had to be filled with the smoke of incense before the high priest could go back in. Does that make sense? So for us as intercessors, we know what the ingredients of incense mean. We've studied that. We know how that it, the ingredients themselves are contrite, they're beaten small. We know that they represent the prayers of the saints. We know that there is a fourfold measure in the ingredients which indicate very close similarity to voices, thunders, lightnings, earthquakes. We know that, the, that this is how God moves on behalf of his throne. And we know that the contrite are allowed to come into the secret place of thunder. God turns to them. But it's incense. It's intercession. And that's what had to fill that room. That was the place of the invitation before anything else was done. Make sense? So then Aaron, in this case, would go back out and he would bring a basin with the blood of this bull and he would sprinkle it eastward, which is important because eastward is a time of beginnings as well. Remember, it rises in the east, sets in the west, so shall be the way that God's glory is shown. So that's beginnings too. But he would sprinkle the blood which was offered for him, for his family, upon the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Now let's talk about that for a moment because we, we've got to really understand what the Ark of the Covenant was for. The Ark of the Covenant was for going forth into ahead of the army to go forth into some place new that God directs only when God directs. This is a well-known concept in Scripture. I shouldn't in this brief message have to tell you that, but you know that. We do know what happened in Shiloh when Eli's wicked sons felt that they could just manhandle the ark and take it out, and, and uh, subsequently they died and the ark fell into the hands of the enemy. You know that story. We also know what happened when David with the big wheels and the, and the, and the new boards and the cart tried to bring the ark in and Uzzah and Ohio were driving and God parotzed onto them and David was greatly upset. We know that. So you couldn't just take the ark and do what you wanted with it. It was not a weapon that you could employ. You should know that from the Indiana Jones movie. Oh, I don't ever watch movies. I know you don't, but many do. And the Raiders of the Lost Ark was well known in, in society in the, uh, in the late 80s, and it's now part of societal speak. Um, but the Ark of the Covenant, which held the manna, or representative of the manna, it held the law, two stones and it held Aaron's rod uh, which budded so you had what God established in his word you had God communing and providing and you had him leading it budded almonds buds which spoke about the, the newness in the beginning so everything about it was being in alignment with God to hear what God would say about going forward it wasn't just some mystical place over it was on the mercy seat. Mercy was God communicating with his people. Uh, the the uh, representative cherubs were there, not only on the mercy seat, but in the adornments of the room itself. So this was all about partnering with God in his timing and his directive to go forth into the new lands that God had ordained. Right? Isn't that true? So to go in there on the, on the 
day that represented new beginnings with fasting, and it begins with incense, would say, God wants you to get ready to move forward into a place that he has chosen, which would establish the kingdom. Right? Right. So understanding that gives us greater clarity as to what happens next in this progression. We've already spoken about incense being offered, the great cloud of smoke rising before the Lord. Intercession, divinely inspired and ordained intercession, is imperative. Then the blood, which the, this, the, the blood of the bullock, which was for personal measures of covering, we, we deal with the blood of Jesus. That's why we're there. That veil of this place was torn open when Jesus said it is finished, making access to everyone. But he was also saying, hey, look, what you did every year in there, it ain't, it ain't happening anymore. It shouldn't be happening anymore because the Lamb's blood, the Lamb of God has been slain. And that blood takes away the sins of the world. It doesn't just cover them over. It cleanses them. Right? Of course. And really, we as Christians are supposed to be going to the ends of the earth, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So whatever that holy of holies represented from this day of atonement should be something that we're functioning on all the time with the what what the ark of the covenant represents which is now in the temple of the tabernacle of testimony right okay so aaron would then come in after he goes back out with the blood of the slain goat now we read that he would take two goats they would discern which one of them God wanted as a sacrifice and that was the Lord's goat Yahweh's goat that's what the Bible speaks about that goat was slain and that blood was taken in and it was also sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant correct meantime the second goat the live goat Hands were laid on this thing, and upon this goat was placed, read this clearly, the iniquities, or that's avon, that's the twisted purpose, and the transgressions of the people. And it was sent out into a, quote, non-inhabited place and a place of wilderness. Now, that's all very interesting. If you read doctrinal positions within most of the general church, they'll say that this goat that was sacrificed represents Christ and that the goat that is set free would represent us. It preaches real well. Friend, I want you to know that there was a sacrifice and because of that, you were able to go free in all of your wickedness and all of your sins and iniquities. You can go out and be free. Well, is that really right? Christ is the Lamb of God. The Bible says over and over again that he is God's Lamb, a sheep. Isn't that correct? You don't find anywhere else in the scripture, anywhere, anywhere in the scripture, where it says that Christ is a goat. In fact, goats don't have a very good reputation in scripture. In the end times, God separates the sheep from the goats, and he judges the goats. In the, uh, in the Old Testament, God says, don't you take a baby goat, kill it, and seethe it in its mother's milk. Why? As we've studied, because 
that was the way the people of God who were sinning and the, and the people, the ites of the land, would take, do that as a ritual sacrifice to the enemy. And they would take that milk and sprinkle it, asking for rain, asking for favor, asking for uh, the enemy forces to be kind to them. And God said, you won't do that. But that had to do with a goat. I know in modern society in sports, they, athletes will say, I am the GOAT, greatest of all time, G-O-A-T. Now, I, I would not doubt that anyone who loves the Lord would, would not say that Jesus is the greatest of all time, but he's not a GOAT. And I think it's a stretch to say that this GOAT that was the Lord's GOAT represented Jesus. It just, it just doesn't make sense. But what does it represent? Well, it was the Lord's goat. It wasn't Elohim's goat. It was the Lord's goat. So it had to do with Yahweh, the plan of God. Are you sticking with me? We're breaking this down and looking at it here. And if you put that on the Ark of the Covenant, that represents what that Ark of the Covenant means, which we've just talked about. Well, what about the scapegoat, or as some in certain parts of the city would call an escape goat, or dare I say an escape goat. What is that? Well, it's it's Azazel. A-Z-A-Z-E-L. Now, this is there's a whole theater of opinions on what this is. Um, there are some who have made very colorful arguments based upon portions of the book of Enoch, which again, I know the Bible quotes Enoch, speaks about Enoch who walked with Elohim and was no more. But I, I've read Enoch. I know some of the things that are said there are true. But I would just say this, who wrote the book of Enoch? I mean, who, who finished that writing? Because Enoch wasn't there. And when was it discovered? Hundreds of years later? After the flood? So some of the conclusions of the book of Enoch are people's opinions. I don't care if it was found in the, in the Qumran caves with the Dead Sea Scrolls. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care if the inter intertestamental uh, Jewish scholars were um, were saying that this, uh, all kinds of things they said. They said that this Azazel was the name of a demonic being that was a titan, that was the head of the angels that seduced women and are, are currently imprisoned in, um, in the, the bowels of the earth. So we're to take the word of intertestamental Hebrew scholars that were blended in with mysticism, which the Bible clearly says were not understanding the deeper things of God. They rejected Moses, and Paul said even to his day they were not characterizing the things of the spirit realm properly. But we should let them form our opinions. And then you have... Uh, um, some manuscripts that have been being discovered from all of the false religions that dwelled in the land. And, and we've talked about this before. Um, you can, from scholastic understanding, it's, it's intriguing to read what some of these uh, works said, but to say that they're equal with the scripture or that we should say that because these people over here among the Hittites or these people from the Q or these people from these other uh, realms of historical thought uh, were really telling the truth. I mean, if, if God, God hasn't come back yet, the millennium hasn't started in a hundred years, if people came back and reviewed um, documents from this time, let's say they pulled up CNN or MSNBC 
Would that give an accurate opinion of what's really going on here right now? Of course not. Sometimes I hear what they're, what they're saying or what's being reported and I think, what world are you living in? So you're telling me that a heathen culture that is worshiping demons, we should take what they write with the full credence and authority of what we know in the scripture. That's danger ground. So there are a lot of slick Hollywood level produced teachings about what this Azazel is. And I would caution you from even researching it because it, it, it's really a lot of it is doctrines of devils. It's what the devil wants you to believe. Some of it's even done by people with many degrees behind their names from what should be Christian seminaries or institutes, uh, colleges, universities of, of very highly respected uh, levels of, of scholarship. But just because they're saying it doesn't make it true. You know, we're, we're hearing right now, we've got a lot more to talk about, but we're hearing right now, there was a, a book that one of the um, doctors that was well-known, Dr. Burks, the, the woman who was alongside Fauci all the time, she apparently wrote a book or some kind of a journal expression about what happened two years ago. This just has come out. And she said very clearly that, I'm paraphrasing now, they were just making things up as they went along to keep people in line. The six-foot space difference, the gatherings of ten or, or, or less, they were just making that up. They were also distorting the figures that they were, were getting. She's saying that now. But, dear Lord, if anybody two years ago questioned anything that uh, the people were saying uh, from the government, you were branded as a, of an infidel. You needed to be canceled. You were a conspiracist. It's true. We lived through it. We lived through it. And so just because somebody with degrees behind their names, and I'm not, I'm not opposed to education, but just because they've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in a production that you can watch on video doesn't make it true. The enemy is a deceiver. This is how he is one of the ways, one of the ways that he will deceive the very elect. He's gonna be slick. He'll use scripture just like he did in the word, has God said, it is written. That he'll twist it. And people with a numbskull anointing will follow them. And if we're not careful, we'll go along with the crowd. The best thing is to say what we're trying to do today. What does that Holy of Holies represent? What does the mercy seat represent? What does the Ark of the Covenant represent? What does the smoke of the incense represent? What does the covering of the bullock represent? But now, what does this goat blood and the one that's set free represent? Well... There are many who say that Azazel is the name of a demon. Could be. But why would, the, why would this wicked being be named that? Now, you will see all kinds of ling etymological gymnastics played with this name. And if you look it up in four or five Bible dictionaries or lexicons, you'll find things that are divergent in their opinions, which is really what happens a lot in amongst scholars of, of uh, etymology, word origins. They love to argue with each other, which is why I've regularly said, let's just do mnemonic studies 
let's just stick with the scripture. Let's, let's compare scripture with scripture. And we're not ashamed of what God shows us in the word. But if, if you go to rabbi so-and-so, they're going to smile at you and they're going to tell you you're, you're ridiculous. You're wrong. So just study the word. Be wise with it. Line it up with the, the context and what it really is saying and let that form your, your opinions. So this word, which is translated as scapegoat, if you pop on your strongs, you'll find it. It's only used here in this brief span of um, Leviticus. Let's just look at the words, Azazel. And again, I'm telling you, you'll find all kinds of creative twistings and turns, but let's just look at, even with what Strong says, let's look at what Azaz means. Uh, Azaz means to be stout, impudent, hardened, self-reliant, and self-absorbed. There is a derivation, very close derivation of Azaz, which is I-Z-U-Z, Izuz, which means strength of a collective and is used to describe a powerful army that is grouped together, kind of like an alliance, but it's, it's that. And of course, then El would, would represent Elohim. Now we know, a lot of times people get confused about this and doctrines of devils will say that they're, I, I just am stunned at how people just buy into this. The enemy says that when God says, you'll have no other Els before me, there's this well-developed idea that God was some kind of a tyrant, almost like a Zeus being. And there were all these other gods that God then attacked and took over. And now he's a ruling God over all these other gods. But these other gods are equal to God. But God rose up like a Hitler and defeated them. Oh, this is a really big doctrinal position. And the enemy uses it. You see, then these other gods can come to you and say, you know what, that God over there, he's maniacal. What kind of a God kills his own son? That's really what he is. He's violent. And, and, but, but me, I have your best interest at heart. I'm not making this up. This has taken out some saints. <laughs> it has. It's a doctrine of devils. So what does God mean when he says you'll have no other L's before you? Well, what does Elohim represent? It's the heart of God. It's, it's God wanting to know you. It's how God draws you in. Yahweh, um, Jehovah is his plan. It's his purpose. But Elohim, Emmanuel, Elohim with us, is to know God and to love God and to accept God. And you know that angels were created to serve God, to be his messengers, but also to serve mankind. They were created by God to serve those that are called to be the heirs of salvation. That's what the scripture says. So there is a, a part of all angels that was constructed by God to interact with mankind and to, on the best case scenario, the divine scenario, to serve the will of God as men and women who have been born again are commissioned by God to serve. Right? So we know that these fallen demonic ones um, will utilize or attempt to utilize that capacity to draw people in and to twist the purpose to abscond what those people are called to be and to use those people 
for whatever nefarious device that demon wants. Correct? So, when you see Azazel, this could be the name of a demon, or it could be the name of whatever enemy forces, probably Leviathan forces and Exousias that function off of that, that inhabit the, um, the wilderness, that inhabit the, the, the places of darkness where light is supposed to be going. I know this is a different take, but it lines up perfectly with the context, and I'm not twisting anything. I'm just giving you biblical definitions for what's there. And so this goat is sent away. You know, there's some, there's some belief that this person that was supposed to lead the goat out took it to a cliff and hurled it off, that there was an actual place on a high cliff that they named Azazel, and they would throw it off. But we don't read that anywhere in the scripture. We're just told that this goat is taken by a fit person and sent into an uninhabited place that is wilderness and set free. That really says that God wanted his people to remember what that ark represented. And that ultimately the Lord would, our Lord would pay the price that his blood would not only bring an atonement, but a cleansing of our sins, but his blood through the blood of sprinkling would be sufficient to be placed upon those areas that God has ordained for the church to triumph, for the ecclesia to tear down strongholds and to take the kingdom and establish God's light in God's timing. Does that make sense? Of course it does. I, I think that the reason, in fact, I know, I sat on this for weeks, just mulling it about, thinking about it. I didn't feel like I should teach. And my initial reaction was, you know, Father, I, I appreciate it, this, but this is one of those things that if I teach this, it's going to raise people's hackles. People are going to look in their old-timey doctrinal things, and they're going to hear about this representing Christ, and they're going to think I've gone off the rails. And it's going to irritate those that listen to us who are really following doctrines of demons, and they're going to get furious, and they're going to send me some kind of wacky clip from YouTube to watch that'll straighten me out. I don't really want to do that. So I just studied about it myself, and I prayed because God was speaking to me about it. But today, in this week of prayer, he said, you need to declare this because it's what I want to do through my people. This is a time of new beginnings, which is what atonement was supposed to be. We are covered by the presence of God. We're covered by the incense that we offer him. We're covered by the angelic. We're covered by God's directives and his commandments. We're covered by the commission that God has given us. We're covered by his identity in us and through us. We're covered by our willingness to obey him, to go where he says go. We're covered against the enemy's assignments that would try to destroy us. Do you ever, let's just talk about this. If this is really Jesus, these goats, why didn't God send his son to be crucified at the Day of Atonement. Well, that would tie everything together, wouldn't it? It would tie the Holy of Holies, why the, the, the veil rent? It'd cover everything, wouldn't it? Yeah. Did you ever think about that? Why instead would it be the Passover? 
because Christ came to empower the firstborn and the first fruits and his sons. Christ came to bring a sword as the Prince of Peace. Christ came to show us that we are to be going forward into the land of promise that God's ordained. The covering of his blood with the unleavened bread is our feast as oft as you remember him. That's when Christ came to be the one that says, I'm your elder brother. I've already conquered. You follow me. You come on behalf of the Father into your land of promise. You be first fruits. The enemy will be defeated. His firstborn will be defeated. But you are the firstborn um, under Christ, first fruits. The firstborn of many brethren then makes you first fruits, and we're to be joint heirs with him. That's when Christ was born. That, uh, that's when Christ was sacrificed, dare I say. Forgive me. We don't really exactly know when Christ was born. It sure wasn't December 25th. But it makes a nice holiday. But we do know when he was, when he was sacrificed. And it wasn't the Day of Atonement. But the Day of Atonement is important. It's a time of beginnings. It's a time of contrition. It's a time of being ready for breakthrough. It's the time where we say we're saturating the atmosphere with incense of intercession. We are, we are under the covering of your blood. The sprinkling of your blood is there. But we're also saying that what represents this ark which is in the temple of the tabernacle, still is designed for us to go and take the kingdom into the places God has ordained, those places where darkness rules, uninhabited, wilderness places, and to find the power of the kingdom. To the intent now before the principalities and powers in the heavens, God would show forth his mysteries in the church. Yeah. That, that rock of commune with the Father will empower us as the ecclesia to go and the gates of hell will not prevail. Seems I read those things someplace, haven't you? Christ's sacrifice, that holy blood that doesn't just cover our sins, our sins are forgiven, they're cleansed. His perfect sacrifice makes the way for us to enter into beginnings as intercessors, as those fasting, as those who gain the directive of the Lord at the mercy seat, who, who will be willing to partner with the angelic to obey where God says go, regardless of what demons are there in their strongholds. When we're sent by God, we bind the strong man and we take control of the things which the enemy entrusted, which, uh, entrusted in which never belonged to them to begin with. They were always the belongings of God. That's what this atonement represents. And in so many ways, we're at a point of atonement in so many ways, we are at a point of breakthrough. And in fact, as I was praying this morning, I, I am positive that our fall seminar in September is supposed to be entitled Atonement. Because of what we're sharing today and because of the breakthrough that we as saints are about to move into at the behest and the directive of God in his timing. Yeah, we've been in a season of waiting. We've been in a season of being submitted. A time where God is putting affairs in order, strengthening us, getting us ready, getting us prepared. We're waiting for his stirring in the mulberry trees. We're waiting at the banks of the Jordan. We're waiting at the banks of the Red Sea. We're waiting for the timing of God. 
and that timing is near. So, what do we do with what we've seen today? Well, we'll probably be teaching again on this in, in, with an outline and everything at seminar. I don't know. But one thing I do know is that we're going to be concentrating on God's breakthrough, which is a parats. It's, it's funny that you tie this together then to why God broke through upon Uzzah when he touched the ark. Why would God parats upon Uzzah? Why use that term? Because the Ark of the Covenant represented the parats of God. The, the incense, the waiting on God, the submitting to him, to hear from him in mercy, to be willing to partner with the angelic, waiting for his timing, waiting for his direction, on the frontier of where you've gone to that point, that's Peretz. All of that, all of those things from the incense to the sacrifice, and even, dare I say, the showbread outside, the people functioning in their identity, that was all Peretz. But the Peretz comes when that ark says, go. And Uzzah was doing it wrong. I'm not faulting him. He was obeying David's command. But God paranced onto him. Never really put those two together, the atonement, the Holy of Holies, and Perez Uzzah together. But even Uzzah, <laughs> I'll have to do some digging. I may not be able to find it, but that sounds an awful lot like Uza, Izuz, doesn't it? <laughs> Don't quote me on that. I've got to look it up. Pastor, where did you find that? I'm just saying. We'll try to develop that a little bit. But the point is that that's inconsequential to the main theme. We are in a position right now. We're praying for Sha'al, wisdom, direction. In, in anticipation of the breakthrough, maybe we're beginning to offer the incense that is necessary for God to say, go. There's a lot of enemy influences that don't want the saints to come forward. There are a lot of enemy influences that are drawing on the hearts and the emotions and the will of people all over this world right now. And the enemy is beginning to utilize those giftings, those iniquitous, twisted giftings in people. He's, he's releasing false prophecies. He's releasing uh, words of agreement for negative factors to ingest, to incite strife, which welcomes every evil work. We see this all around where the... Where the, where the enemy version of Elohim is getting people to bow at the demonic altars all over the world. And dare I say, in almost every city in our United States of America, God, help this country. But the saints of the Most High God, we are in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation and so many other places in, in the Bible, we will walk with God and we will overcome. There may be times where it seems that we're being pressed upon, but then God turns it and we gain a, a phenomenal victory through him. Breakthrough is coming. We're preparing for it now. We're under the covering of the Lord in this seventh month now. And we'll lead forward into through this eighth month, which is really a time of beginnings in its own right, and into our gathering as uh, saints. But then we're ready to break through. 
aren't you? So, the two goats on atonement, Hazazel, it's really God saying, I am coming. You ever find out, do you ever think about why Jesus was compelled, he was thrown, balo ek balo, by the Spirit into the wilderness at the very beginning of his ministry to be tempted by the enemy. And there he fasted, our Lord fasted 40 days, 40 nights. And then the enemy came. Did you ever wonder why that was in the wilderness? <laughs> you know, if you go one chapter further in Leviticus, God says in Leviticus 17, chapter 7, I don't want any more of this worshiping goats whoring after them. Now, we know goats are undisciplined. We know they'll eat anything. They'll go all over the place. They may be cute. They may be great in the petting zoo at the state fair. We laugh at some of those screaming goats, those, some of those goats that just get scared and they fall over. It's funny to watch them. But if you have a pet goat, hold your ears. Goats don't have a good reputation in the scripture. They just don't. They represent the impudent. And anyway, well, thanks for tuning in today. Remember, my congregation, we're praying at 6 o'clock tonight. Monica sent a prophetic directive out to all of you by email. You should have gotten it. We'll look for you. To all of our Saints Network family who wants to join with us, who, who desire to join with us in prayer at that time, you are welcome to. Many of you, that will be 1 o'clock in the morning. If you want to pray tonight, which is just about maybe soon, 6 o'clock your time, do it. God is timeless. Don't forget this coming Sunday is going to be a bit different for us where we're devoting here at the church, the Father's Church in Dallas, a morning of prayer. So we'll pray during the Sunday school hour. There'll be some kind of, a, of, a, of an expression made over live stream at 1030. But then we're not going to broadcast the live stream of prayer here. I'm not going to do that. Uh, we'll cut off the live stream, but we'll continue to pray. And we invite you to do that too. Thanks for being willing to walk this pathway as saints, to be Nematicos people who are not blown about by every wind of doctrine. Um, let's, let's be wise comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And let's recognize that we're poised on the shores of breakthrough. And let's be willing to do what's necessary to be acceptable to our Father. These Old Testament things are types for us. They're principles for us to learn from. Christ fulfilled the law. Grace and truth then came. We're functioning on behalf of the hidden truths found in all of these things and moving forward in grace. You know, the Bible says in the time of the end, knowledge will increase. That's happening technologically. But it's also happening biblically. God is showing us the deeper things of his spirit. His word, his, breath, his living word does not contradict what's already been written. It, 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 it shines a deeper light. Those truths that have been hidden, preserved for this hour, are being made known. Part of what we talked about today is one of those. Study it out for yourself. I'm warning you, don't watch the demonic stuff on the, on the internet. It's a doctrine of devil, and it will say all kinds of things that are really slick, very convincing. But that's the way a deceiver is. All right. Thanks for joining today.
God bless all of you. And we will look forward to praying tonight and praying through the rest of this week and praying on Sunday. Great time in the Lord. Till next time we're together, God bless you. Goodbye.